Chapter Seventeen of An Exchange of Souls by Barry Payne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen. I could learn very little more that night. I got all the evening papers, of course, but the notices were very scanty and did not in details agree with one another. The train in which Myas Lade had traveled had been wrecked. He might or might not be dead. My first impulse was to go off at once to Paddington and see what details they had, but I did not go, and I think my second thoughts were the wiser. The morning papers gave fuller information. The accident had been due to the error of a signalman. The human machine, however near perfection, is never quite perfect. Considering the nature of the accident, the number of those actually killed was very small. Among the headlines of the account I read, Sensational Discovery! Unknown Woman Disguised as a Man! Myas Lade had been killed, his face rendered unrecognizable. The railway authorities were doing their best to trace his identity. What was I to do? Again I did not follow my first impulse. My first impulse was to go down and claim the body and see that it had decent burial. Then I saw that would not do at all. In the trail of identification would come explanation and the secrecy on which Myas Lade had so strongly insisted would be lost. It seemed to me, right or wrong, that I carried out his wishes best if I did absolutely nothing. The evening papers had further details of that sensational discovery. The handkerchief and linen of the dead girl bore the initials M.D. The man's clothing which she was wearing was absolutely new. There was a further supply of new clothing found in the luggage which almost certainly belonged to her. It bore the same initials, contained clothes which would have fitted her, and had not been otherwise claimed. A later edition said it had been possible to find the stores from which the clothes had been bought, the name being on the buttons, and there was a short interview with the assistant who had actually sold the things. He maintained stoutly that the person to whom he sold them was beyond question a man, and moreover, a man who could not have worn those clothes himself. He gave a description of my personal appearance, which was flattering, but inaccurate. So far as I was concerned, I felt no nervousness about being drawn into the affair. I have no eccentricities. I dress exactly like other men in the same position as myself. Myas used to chaff me rather bitterly about my passion for resembling other people. I had paid cash for the clothes, given no name or address, and taken the things away myself. Unless they found the cabman who had driven me on that occasion, there was no possibility that the true story would come to light. The real cabman never came forward. Another cabman did provide a somewhat wild story. He had driven two people, he said, on that afternoon from the stores to a spot on Wimbledon Common. There he had been dismissed and had been paid double his fare. One of the two people answered to the assistant's description of myself 
and the other was a girl. His story did not bear examination. It was excessively vague. The only definite thing about him was his desire to make a pound or two out of an evening paper. I did not attend the inquest, but I was present at the funeral. The body was decently buried at the expense of the railway company, and was followed to the grave by a crowd of people who had never known Myas nor Alice Lade. The effect of a sensational story on an uneducated mind is really very astonishing. Some of these absolute strangers had even sent expensive floral tributes. I wrote to my servants at the cottage that my friend had changed his mind at the last moment and had decided not to go down to the country after all. Old Wellsford still quotes this occasionally in his more pious moments on Sunday afternoon as an instance of what he calls a special providence. I wrote at the same time to Mrs. Lade in America and gave her a very bad account of her daughter's health. I wanted gradually to prepare her for the news of the death. She wrote back that this was only what she had expected and that she knew she would never see Alice alive again. It was a comfort to her that I was looking after the girl, and she was sure that she could trust me to do all that could be done. She seemed to have grown very fond of her little nephews and nieces, of whom she gave me particulars. She added that she liked America, but that breakfasts there seemed to be a very different thing. It was a simple, kindly letter, and I liked it for its simplicity. Any fool can punctuate, and Mrs. Lade's pages were innocent of all punctuation. But that gift of simplicity is much rarer. It was the one distinguished thing about her. Thus, in two graves, many miles apart, lie the body of a man who loved knowledge and of the woman who loved that man. I do not know whether it is a vain hope that, somewhere in the hereafter, their souls have met and put old mistakes right again. It is not a thing that one can know, but I confess to the hope. And with that I close all that I can say at present of Daniel Myas and Alice Lade, and turn once more to devote myself to my more important historical work. End of chapter 17